Kings Insider Podcast on CSNCalifornia.com. Introducing your host, Sacramento Kings Insider, James Ham. Welcome to the CSN Kings Insider Podcast. I am James Ham. Joining me as always, Mr. Aaron Bruski of hoop-ball.com. Baby, what's going on? I, I'm feeling patriotic. Team USA just won a gold. Uh, DeMarcus Cousins had a great game, so that should make Kings fans pretty happy. Um, working on our draft guide at hoop-ball.com for all the fantasy basketballers out there. We're either releasing that tonight or tomorrow morning, depending on how things go. And we've actually had people find it on the site, and they're already gobbling it up, buying it. But that's been uh, that's been what I've been up to for a good three weeks. That's why I haven't been tweeting. And at the same time, um, they found my doppelganger on the uh, Olympic broadcast. Oh, I saw so, him. I thought, did, did you see it? I thought did to you, myself. Immediately, right? Yeah, I thought to myself, oh, man, I'm gonna, I was supposed to go up and talk to Aaron Bruski, and there he is on the TV screen. Well, what I did is I put it on Facebook as like a serious thing. Like I said, hey, you know, I'm in Rio. It's great. I'm, I'm handing out medals, you know, here at the Olympic Games. It's been awesome. What an experience. You know, thank you, thank you, thank you. <laughs> at least half, pe- half the people on Facebook have not figured it out that I'm not in Rio handing out medals. It is great. That's awesome. Are, are you uh, are you a patriotic guy? I mean, are you running around your house with a flag, like draped over you, like celebrating? Yeah, why not? Who who wouldn't? You know, some apple pie. I'll probably watch some baseball after this. It's gonna be awesome. <laughs> make make a nice little Sunday of it. Oh, go to the the Home Depot. Maybe get a little flooring. <laughs> I don't know. There might there might not be time. There might not be enough time. I I, I don't know. Uh, yeah. I think first and foremost, congratulations to to Demarcus Cousins. I think from someone who's covered him from the first day he walked into the league and has seen the battles that he's had to fight. Even with the Team USA people, with Jerry Colangelo saying, you know, in his first camp that he, you know, he was a bully and, you know, that that wasn't what they were looking for. And that was after they had said, hey, come in here and beat everybody up and act like you're, uh, you know, uh, a Polish, the Polish hammer coming in here to beat everyone. We need you to be aggressive and strong and get us ready. And then to have it flipped on him right afterwards and like, oh, that's. I don't know if he's going to be with the program long and stuff like that. To see him be able to come full circle and to to make it to that that final to the podium to get a gold medal, very very happy for Demarcus Cousins. It's it's been a journey for him and not a fun journey all the time. And you know he did get the the world championships two years ago, and now to see him get Olympic gold is just such an amazing accomplishment for for anyone. But specifically for him, because he was on the ropes so many times, and he's always had that personality that either you love or you hate. And it, I didn't even I didn't know if it was conducive to Team USA if that was going to be able to if he can represent the country. And he grew out of a lot of his his stuff that he had as a young player, and even in the finals, he had he had adversity in the first minute of the when he stepped on the court. He 
he got in foul trouble and he kept his head and he was an absolute tremendous force in this game. Um, what, what do you have? 11 points, 12 rebounds at the half. Very yeah, impressive. It was, it was huge. And in the first game of the knockout round, his play really, I thought, turned around the, the stigma around Team USA that they had a chance of losing, that they weren't playing confident. And, and you saw some of the defense he was playing in particular, and it really gave Team USA their mojo back. So that's pretty big. You know, the, you don't really think a Team USA is having a chance to lose, but I thought most people watching these games at least entertained the idea that maybe they didn't have the chemistry and maybe they didn't have the um, just the, I don't know, the the defense, the offense, they looked really bad there for a little bit. He he got in, he got it done, and then tonight or today, his play was was really key. You know, him and Kevin Durant. If Kevin Durant doesn't go, you know, uh, I don't know, he hit like five shots in a row there at one point. If he doesn't do that, I thought Serbia was ready to play them tight, uh, but then Serbia just completely wilted at the first run that the United States made. Yeah, and it really it hinged on Cousins coming in the game and all of a sudden just cleaning the glass and distributing that's the one thing i'll take away from this and i hope that he takes away is that he can be an elite distributor he can be a marcus all type you know or vlade divots type distributor and i i hope that he takes that back and he tries to make his teammates better i really aaron i thought this was the most selfish ugly basketball i have seen from a team usa group i thought it was horrible to watch most of the time and then you would see these moments where they would insert, you know, cousins, or they would insert Paul George, and the entire tenor of the of the game would change. All of a sudden, it would be much more fluid, much more, I don't know, open and passing, and uh, the offense actually had some sort of flow. I thought that that this was not a good run. I've, certainly, the finals they blew out Serbia, but. You know, leading up to that, they had a bunch of tight games. And they had a bunch of tight games because, you know, every time Clay Thompson touched the ball, he chucked it. And every time Kyrie Irvin touched the ball, he dribbled the clock out and then chucked it. And I, I wasn't impressed at all with the style of play. And I really, I'm kind of hoping to see something different next time around. Uh, see if Greg Popovich brings a different flair than what we've seen or what we saw this time around. But I thought they put themselves in some jeopardy a couple of times. By just isolation, isolation, bad basketball. Yeah, I, I don't know if this will be the wake-up call that they needed because they didn't have any competitive games in the knockout round. But in the in the first round, they clearly were on their heels, and they're going to need to have better walkthroughs and better practices. I can only imagine what it's like. You're Coach K. You got all these guys that think they have zero chance of losing and actually trying to come up with an offensive system that you know is predicated on timing and feel and all the things that you see these other teams out there doing and that's why they've been able to be competitive popovich i think will you know be a little bit more aggressive in coaching that up and he'll have the standing with those guys because i don't think coach k has a standing with those guys to actually tell them stop what you're doing we're gonna get serious we're gonna install this offense in a short amount of time um one thing i thought was interesting about the way that the team was set up was you, you heard a lot of guys clamoring to play on the second unit. And I thought that that spoke pretty much about Kyrie Irving, Carmelo Anthony, uh, Kevin Durant. Those three guys, you know, they're playing the replay of the game right now as we're doing the podcast. 
it was just a take turns offense. Yeah. Nobody's moving off the ball because there's really why move. You know, you're not going to get it. You're probably <laughs> going to move to a bad spot. You know, That's right. it, go go set a screen for me, Demarcus, because I ain't giving it up. Set my pick. Well, I'm going around it. And that's yeah. why I think they brought DeAndre Jordan into that group is it just made a lot of sense to have a non-scorer on the floor with those guys. But it even with Clay Thompson, you know, Clay's a guy that for the Warriors works off of a lot of screens, gets the ball in motion, one to two to three dribbles, and and that's what's really effective for him. He's not a great – I mean, he's not bad, but he's not a great ISO guy. And that's what he became with that first unit. And the second unit with the Marcus Cousins in there passing the ball, amongst others – you know, they actually had decent ball movement and they were able to break down teams, especially when they got DeMarcus the ball in the pick and roll with him instead of popping with him rolling to the hoop. I just hope you guys do that in Sacramento a lot because Boogie on the move is just unstoppable. You know what I found really interesting? He never once took an outside jump shot, not even one time. And he had plenty of opportunities. And I know there was one play where he took a guy off the dribble and, and drove to the basket. But that was like one time that I saw throughout most of the, the the tournament. The guy just played a role. He was one of the few guys that I thought actually played a role. I wasn't impressed with DeAndre Jordan's play either. I thought it, the one thing that I really liked about Cousins as an international player is that he boxed out. He ran to a spot in the paint when he was going for a rebound or when he was even when he was playing defense. And he got in position to knock the ball off the rim, which is something you can do in international play. I thought he was ready to rebound, and he was so incredibly efficient doing it. I think Paul George, again, is another guy who rebounded well, at least in a couple of games. Uh, But that was something that, you know, they didn't run plays for Cousins, just like they didn't run plays for DeAndre. But I thought Cousins found a way to be really, really effective all the time, especially not just as a shot blocker, but as a guy who played position defense a guy who clogged the middle. I was really impressed with his play overall. And, you know, I I shouldn't really compare him to DeAndre Jordan. So although DeAndre was the first team All-NBA center and Cousins was the second team, uh, that's a joke. Everyone in the league knows that Cousins is a much, much better player than DeAndre Jordan. But still, I mean, it was obvious that he, not only was he a better player, but he was actually able to play a role better than almost anyone where he was just a guy sitting there gobbling up everything, tipping out everything, and then getting the ball and looking for a teammate as a cutter and hitting guys to the rack. And I think he really got gypped uh, with his assist totals. I think he could have had a lot more assists, uh, but his teammates either found another guy after you know he had the hockey assist or they missed shots. And so again, uh, I, I, was, I was super impressed with Cousins. Yeah, it was interesting, too, because a lot of the guys that he went up against, like Miroslav Rajulica, Raduljica, butchering <laughs> that, whatever his name is. Uh, this is a guy that, you know, his job was to get underneath DeMarcus Cousins' skin, and that's the book on him. And they they were banging, and, you know, Nikola Jokic, they were banging. And, and you could see that, especially with Jokic, which is a matchup, I think, that is going to just be great to watch over the next few years, as, as long as everybody stays in their current locations. Um, they're there was a competition down low and you saw DeMarcus didn't necessarily want to, um, you know, change the dynamic of that. He wanted to stay on the block. He wanted to stay on the glass. He wanted to beat those guys down there because they were giving him so much trouble. 
and, and playing him so tough with international rules being what they are. Um, it was a battle down there. So I thought he wanted to take part. And I thought playing across from Jokic as well probably spurred some of his creativity because Jokic is also a good passer for a big man. And so you saw similar types of games out of those two guys, especially when they're playing each other. So Cousins, um, teammates were, were trying to find him in the pick and roll. That was another difference in the ways that he got himself the ball because otherwise he wasn't getting the ball. There wasn't a lot of post action called for him. Um, still a free-flowing offense. It looked you know, a lot like the OKC offense of the five years that they were with Scott Brooks. It's just <laughs> uh, pull it out, go ISO. And that's why Kevin Durant actually thrived in this game is he knows in that type of a scenario how to get his shots off. You would see him set up three feet behind the three-point line. He knew that when the ball came out to him, even though it wasn't a good shot, he was going to take it in rhythm and and make it into a good shot. And so he was able to kind of emerge out of that. And that's why you saw Team USA have troubles. Is guys didn't know when they'd be taking their shots. They would take bad shots, forced shots. There was no rhythm to that offense whatsoever. So they're kind of lucky to come out of there with the gold, even though they blew teams out by 30 throughout the knockout round. Yeah, it was pretty, for me, I, I just couldn't stand watching it. I thought it was just bad basketball. I thought lots and lots of bad shots. Even Durant took a couple of shots like, that, that is a horrible shot. Why are you taking that shot? And sure enough, it went in. But that doesn't matter. I mean, when you're looking at the game the way it should be played, and I guess the Warriors are rewriting the, the rules on how the game should be played with all of these crazy, you know, three-point jump shots. Uh, but at, at the same time, you know, the level of competition allowed them to do that, it allowed them to play sloppy basketball and still win by dominating, you know, totals here and there. So I, anyway, I, I thought it was... I thought it was a good run. I thought it was a good run by Cousins. I know he had a couple of rough games where he couldn't stay on the floor. That's something he's going to have to work on. I think it really tested his temperament, but it also, having the support of other stars there, I know really helped him. And and I'm hoping that he takes some of that back and brings it to Sacramento and has a, a clear idea of how to be a different type of leader, how to be a different type of teammate, and really how he can be really effective without shooting 44 45% from the field on you know 20 something shots he needs to he needs to shoot 55% from the field and he can still score you know 26 to 30 points a game in my in my mind he can do that in his sleep but he needs to figure out a way to be more efficient and i think this this run with team usa may have opened some you know, some sort of pathways for that efficiency. Just because if you don't take a bunch of bad jump shots and if you don't try to take everybody off the dribble uh, and you're looking for cutters, and you're going to be a lot more effective, especially with guys like Omri Caspi, Harris, I mean, not Harrison, but Matt Barnes. Those guys really move off the ball really well and slash and cut, and you could find them for easy baskets all the time if you're looking. And I don't think he's been looking the last couple of years. It's time for him to take this experience, grow from it, and then sort of lay this template over the Sacramento Kings. Say, okay, I know I've got to get my, my 25, 26, you know, 28 points, but how can I make my teammates better on a nightly basis? How can I be supportive like my Team USA teammates were when I got into foul trouble? How can I be supportive for my own teammates? How can I you know, really bring this model and make my Sacramento Kings team better than what it is right now? 
Yeah, and it would have been real bad for the Kings if this Team USA experience didn't happen this year. Because getting the stank off of his game from last year, it's going to take a while. We discussed that in the last podcast. Uh, you could see it uh, kind of permeating in throughout his game in these Olympics at times. Um, so, yeah, you're just glad that he got that that experience. And uh, now it's on to the task at hand. And how, like, you know, I'm sitting here projecting out Cousins, his stats, his, you know, his various fantasy values, all that stuff. I, I want to know what they're going to run. Like, I, I really almost know you want to put a number down on a piece of paper because he should be shooting 55%. Yeah. But if he's out there popping on the pick and roll instead of rolling, if, he, if he's playing the, the, the new age spacing game that everybody wants people to play, it's not going to be good. And his, his numbers are going to be down. So I, I want to know, is he rolling? Is, are they entering the ball into the post? You know, how are they working that offense out? And I just don't know that we're going to know that until we see them run stuff in the preseason. And maybe not even then. Yeah, it's, it's possible. I think we're really going to have to wait and see on this team and how they develop. I mean, he still he doesn't have a lot of shooters around him. He needed more shooters. Willie Cauley-Stein, maybe he'll hit a jumper, but he's not really a shooter uh, in the starting lineup. You know, Collison is going to miss we'll get to the Collison situation in a minute we'll we'll finish up here with Cousins but I mean he's going to need a Flalo to catch and shoot he's going to need Caspi to catch and shoot if Rudy Gay is still on the team he's going to need Rudy Gay to go back out to the three-point line like he did two years ago and work from the outside in and and I hope that they can figure out a way to make all this work Uh, but I think we we learned a lot about where he's most effective and I expect him I don't know what you predict him points wise but I would be surprised if it's not 27 plus points per game and really I think he learned a lot about rebounding in this experience and I would be shocked if he's not around 13 boards a game this season just because I think that's where he should have been he's got such great hands he's got such great size uh, that and reach he's got you know seven foot eight wingspan I think this is a guy that you really, um, he has all the potential in the world to take this like monumental leap this year. Yeah, I got him at 47% from the field, which is not a great move uh, towards the basket, in my opinion. I've got him taking about two and a half threes a game. I've got him at 11, uh, yeah, 11, almost 12 boards. It's, I'm not confident yet that they're going to put him down there on the block. And and I would also like to know, are they going to put Aaron Aflalo on a dribble limit? You know, that's not very common in the NBA, <laughs> but he should really only be a catch and shoot guy. Like, put, put no, like an electro shock wristband on him every time he dribbles <laughs> more than like four times, it shoots. You, well, know. you know what? I'd, I'd do the same thing with Rudy Gay to the extent I'd give him like two to three dribbles. But with Aaron Aflalo, you know, if he starts dribbling the clock out, which is what he did last season, mm-hmm. it's going to be a long year for the Sacramento Kings. You're going to see exactly what happened last year with Rajon Rondo, and it is going to be ugly. So that's the one thing that I want to see if they can get a hold of that early and say, hey, look, you know, understand this is how you used to do it in New York. This is how you used to do it in Denver. This is how you used to do it in Orlando. This isn't how you do it in Sacramento. So um, that will be a very big key because it will impact Rudy Gay, and then it will impact the offense as a whole. Um, and and <laughs> watching this uh, this replay here, you just wish that they could get Bogdan Bogdanovich over early. I, I totally agree. I, I think it, he, would, he would be so good for this offense. Yeah, 
I, I, I agree 100%. His ability to create for others, wow. I, he's really got a lot of skill. I mean, he had the worst gold medal game ever. I, I don't, I, you know, I'm not even down on him for it. I understand he didn't hit his open shots. He, yeah. I'm, but I'm just watching the way that he moves with and without the ball on offense. Everything has purpose. Everything's to the right areas. I mean, that CJ McCollum thing, I, I mean, CJ's got real, he got real aggressive going to the hoop this year. He got a ton of confidence. He's probably got a little bit of athleticism and a little bit of length on Bogdanovich and probably some better finishing. Yeah, a little bit but, more creative as a scorer, especially on like the teardrop, but yeah. But it's all the same movements. It's all the same skill package. Like if anything, he's just a half step behind him in those areas. And then what CJ has that uh, we didn't see out of Bogdanovich is CJ's just a knockdown shooter. Like if you give him that daylight, he's going to hit. And with Bogdan, he missed a lot of open shots and you don't know why that is. It's a small sample size in the Olympics. Um, but you just, you kind of like to see if you are going to be that knockdown shooter role that you actually make a lot of those wide open ones, you know, like clay, Steph, those guys, they're making 70% of their wide open ones. Yeah, but and, Clay wasn't very good, especially, you know, the or the first, like, six games. I mean, he really struggled. And I, I think it might be the Olympic thing. It might be that he's overwhelmed, Bogdanovich, that is, that he's just overwhelmed by the fact that this is his real first shot at running up against incredible, you know, Team USA athletes, the best athletes in the world. They had Kevin Durant on him for, like, huge portions of the game again. <laughs> Well, that's why I wasn't down on his game is because the perimeter defense of the United States is actually really, really, really good and might even be in kind of one of those all-time type discussions. And he's out there handling it with ease. He's running the, the pick and roll and he's getting a, a defender like Paul George on his back and he's shielding him while also continuing to be aggressive to, to take the center or whoever's in the in the lane defending him he's, he's making that guy commit and then he's able to drop the pass off and he was doing it in creative ways as if to lead his lead the guy catching the pass to an open spot that he would be able to score in and that type of stuff is just next level basketball that if you plop that on the kings they don't have that right now they don't have next level basketball they, they've got you know really really bad basketball <laughs> that, they, that they've got a get out of their system, get all those ideas and just say, forget it. We never pretend we never thought of that. And, and then kind of build off it from there. Uh, Collison cousins, very creative with the ball. I do believe they're next level type players with the ball. Um, you add Bogdanovich to that and, and now things don't get so constrained. You can afford to have Rudy Gay out there and, uh, Aaron Aflalo, two similar type players that are going to do similar type things. And, um, but they don't have them. They're not going to have them for a year. Yeah, that's, and he probably that's... saved them some money by not going huge in this game. Because if he went for twenty in this game, I think the Kings would have to have at least pay a couple extra mil. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know what? I think that when you're just watching what he does, he's so quick. He almost uh, to me, Bogdanovich kind of looks like a boxer. He really has quick feet and quick motions. Uh, I, I don't think he's got like crazy lateral quickness for speed to get around the corner and stuff like that. But I did see a lot of things that were very encouraging. I think he can create space. I think he can get a shot off at the NBA level. Um, I, I think when I watched him as far as his moves, 
which separated him from a guy like Jimmer, where Jimmer unfortunately has never been able to uh, make his moves work at the at the NBA level. Is that Jimmer gets too deep into his his dribble? He gets too down low, and so when he's got to come up and fire, it takes too long. Well, I never saw that with Bogdanovich. I think he has great handles, and then on top of that, he's more upright with his great handles, and he's able to just pop up and fire a lot like what we're seeing from you know a lot of the Warriors guys. Now, the fact that he didn't hit a lot of his shots, his wide open shots, again, I just I just think that that's biggest stage ever, and He's got he's to gotta learn how to, to step up in those moments, and he will. I mean, I, he's not going to come to the Kings and average 18 points a game as a rookie and you know be the next coming of Ray Allen and fix everything, but I, I really do believe he's got all kinds of potential. Even, you know, a little bit of uh, a Michael Red type score, too. You know, maybe he's got that quick release that he gets off the ground quick and yeah, I, I like him. I think he's he's got. Uh, it, it, you almost wish they had him and the Serbian point guard because I thought the Serbian point guard was he's like the shooting guard version of Manu Ginobili. He just had all of this crafty old man like take you to school at the YMCA moves. Well, the interesting thing about him is it sounds like he wants to come across, but he signed a contract with CSKA Russia or probably Moscow. And I don't know what the out would be on that, but you could just tell that he wants to come across. And the quotes that he had is that it wasn't his choice. Um, so Vlade, you know, get on the phone, bud, get that, get that going, because that would the the duo of those two guys would almost eliminate the kind of questions that you have right now about who's going to run back up. Do you have enough ball handling? Do you have enough shooting? Do you have enough scoring? Um, you know, you look at Bogdanovich, I think he is an idealized six man. It is kind of what with CJ McCollum, especially paired next to Damian Lillard, they always wanted him to be in a bench role because you wondered could the two guys play together with the ball. It ended up being that CJ McCollum was so good and they have enough size with him being a taller player that they can actually pull it off. Now, that's a pretty bad defensive backcourt. So it's really, oh, yeah. again, it, yeah. it's not ideal, <laughs> but you're going to keep it. You're going to, you're going to, you know, figure out a way to deal with it in some other way with shot blocking on the back line or whatever have you. But um, if he can come in, play 25 minutes a game for the Kings, bring exactly what he brought in these Olympics, and that price tag can be $10 million or less, that's going to be a huge win for the Kings. Yeah, yeah. And uh, what is it, Tia Dosic? Um, he's, from what I've read, uh, my my man Greg Wissinger over at Sacktown Royalty Said he's owed two point five million this year in Russia. He, they, no NBA team can pay more than six six hundred twenty five thousand dollars of a buyout. And I don't even know if he has a buyout if he can actually escape. But even if he did, um, you know, basically the Kings would have to. He would have to pay the remaining like one point eight five million to get himself out. And the only thing the Kings have in their uh, sort of you know, their war chest is not even the mid-level exemption. They have a, uh, what's it, a non, a non a salary cap paying, you know, the, they have the $3 million exemption. So they can't even really pay this guy. They, they would have to wait till next summer. And that's if he wanted to even come to Sacramento. Uh, he had mentioned before that he wanted to go to um San Antonio or or there was one other team that was that he was intrigued by from what I know and 
and they were never able to get a deal done. He almost signed two years ago, and then he ended up signing this three-year deal in Moscow, and it's really slowed everything down. I thought he was good. I don't think he's great, and he's 29, and it's, you know, I, I don't know if there's that much difference between him and, say, Gravis Vasquez. He might be a little quicker, but he's very savvy. I just thought he was a really, really high basketball IQ player. You know, what you get from a European player who's played professionally since he was probably 16, that's what you typically get. I mean, these guys have played forever. You know, he probably is 13 years into his European career, and that's a lot of experience to, to bring to the table. So I think he could definitely help the Kings because they need help at the point guard position. But at the same time, I don't know that he's a you know, a 30-minute-a-game guy at the NBA level. Yeah, I'm still throwing my my, my weight and support behind uh, Garrett Temple. I think he'll be fine for the Kings. Garrett I think they got yeah, I think they got bigger fish to fry. Actually, that's another thing. For however long Darren Carlson suspended, you hope that that doesn't open the door for Aaron Aflalo, who you guys can tell I'm getting. You know, I'm more worried about Aaron Aflalo than anybody else for this team. It seems. Uh, yeah, you're gonna you know hope it doesn't open the door because they're gonna you know it, it provides the rationale. Well, okay, well Aaron can get us through this time. And uh, oh wait, now he's uh, he's dribbling out the clock every single time. That that will uh, not fly for this Kings offense. I think that they really got to move towards. It's almost a Golden State style, but it won't be um, anything that can get guys that have a mid-range game like Rudy Gay and Aaron Aflalo the ball. And I know people are going to hate when I say this, but inside that 18-foot range. That is their that's their money spot right there. That's where the defense is going to start to bend when they catch the ball there. I think defenses are fine if those guys are taking contested threes. Uh, but if they catch the ball on the move coming off a screen at 18 feet and the defense has to react to that, then everything else opens up. So um, that's what you hope for. Uh, the whole the whole Collison thing, I'm a little surprised that they haven't been able to find a resolution yet what 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 are your sources telling you my sources Ham? tell me they just keep getting continuances that the attorneys have not come to an agreement and they're still working through things you know a lot of people throw stuff around on twitter and on the message boards and i, I really I've, I've been cautious about talking about the collison situation because number one i don't like covering that stuff uh that's not i mean again we cover basketball uh, we're not sitting in courtrooms watching this play out. But I do have a little bit of understanding and knowledge of it just because, number one, my wife is an attorney. Uh, number two, I have a lot of police officer friends. And I, I know a lot of attorneys. And uh, so from what I know, uh, I think the Kings are getting closer to resigning themselves to the fact that he's probably going to be gone a minimum of 10 games. And that's sort of a different change from what I've heard from them in the past, just like by talking to people around the franchise and, you know, outside of the franchise and what they're kind of hearing and kind of thinking. They haven't really had long conversations with the NBA. The NBA does their own thing, and then they come and tell you what they're going to do. But if he pleads guilty, which, or, or no contest, which is actually very likely in this situation, and I can walk people through that again in case they miss that whole situation, but basically, if Collison's wife doesn't want to uh, doesn't want to appear in court and doesn't want to press charges and all that, that doesn't matter. Uh, they the the courts have, and this is something that um, each I think each area of the country and each each law enforcement area ha they do things their own way. But 
Uh, Placer County has always been very specific that if there is a domestic violence or whatever type of situation, they really factor in what was said that day, what was said on the 911 call, what your initial statements were, and if you refuse to step up and and testify, they'll read your words into the record and they will go on record and be part of the conversation. And so if you don't want that person to show up, you have no rebuttal. Uh, all you have is their words and they just go, they get read into the record because it's it's clear that, I mean, everyone knows that Darren Collison makes a lot of money and then every day that he misses is going to be a huge amount of money for him and his family out of their pocket. Um, you know, these are, these guys, they're breadwinners, you know, just like everyone's family has a breadwinner. Uh, they make a lot of money and suspensions and everything else cost a lot of money, not just short term, but long term. I mean, this is going to hurt Collison for a long time. So, so well, you also add in the collective bargaining agreement and a lot of interested people at the NBPA who are going to want to follow this case and set the precedent in favor of their constituencies. But the precedence so. has already been set, and that's one of the issues that Collison has. The 24-game sus- suspension by Jeff Taylor is is brutal, and it's and if I'm not mistaken, his were only misdemeanor counts, although he. He admitted to doing crazy stuff where it was on record with him doing like major violence. Uh, where Collison, and that's another thing I was going to bring up. I, I hear people like they throw stuff there. I'll say something, I'll explain to people that it's been pushed back to September 8th, which that is when the hearing is for Collison now, September 8th. And people are like, oh, you know, that guy beat his wife or he hit his wife. I don't want that guy on the team. From everything that I know, there was no punches, there was no slaps. There was, uh, their heads collided and she had a welt on her head from what I know. Uh, and so there was no, no one has ever said that there was a punch thrown. Um, and then the second misdemeanor count is for spitting on her, which I, you know, again, that's, uh, you can, whatever you choose to believe or you, you want to say about that, that's your own beliefs. And, but that, that's sort of the case. But what I my point is that this isn't a Ray Rice who almost killed his his now wife in a in an elevator. Um, you know, it wasn't a a death blow. This was a altercation between two people, and um, I, I will have to wait till it all clears out. But from I, I'm pretty confident that what we're gonna see here is some sort of plea deal where he gets maybe a little tiny bit of community service and counseling and then once uh the counseling's done you know you can look and see what they do with the the misdemeanor count down the road if it sticks or if it gets expunged or whatever but as of right now i I think the kings are bracing for 10 plus games where before i think they're really bracing for two to three games and now they're starting to realize that the precedence is much greater than what they think and 10 games is that's a substantial, oh, it's at 15% of an NBA season, something like that. It's close. That's not good. That's a long time to go without your starting point guard. And then to not have him there, it's going to take two or three games to get him back in the flow. And then you're hoping that he doesn't get injured or anything during that time. I, I mean, it's it's not a good situation. Well, you know, looking at it in a vacuum, just this one element of it, it would appear to me that the longer the case plays out, the more leverage the DA has because the DA knows that the NBA and the Kings and Darren Collison want 
some sort of a, a decision sooner rather than later so they can all plan around it. So um, the delays from just an outsider's perspective that knows nothing about this case, because I'm not following this case like I would be if I was reporting on it. Um, it seems to me the delays would work against him. And that, that was the first thought that popped into my head is, you know, if you're Collison, if you're his family, if you're the Kings, if you're the NBA, you just want the process to, to move on and, and to get through it and to get through the other side of it. Um, it's now dragging back the, out. It is. It's yeah, dragging and, out way and, longer and, than and it should have. And, and on the basketball court, now looking back, I was watching more of that film the other day of the, the Kings run under Michael Malone. And Collison really played with a lot of purpose in those games. Mm -hmm. And that will be something else that I'm going to be keying in on looking at, you know, in light of the suspension. I mean, he will work out with the team. He will practice as their number one point guard. He's going to be in for a big season uh, statistically as well as, um, you know, I just think in general, it's a contract year for him. I think that um, everything, you know, outside of this situation will line up well for him. But will he be able to play with that type of purpose that he had with DeMarcus Cousins and Rudy Gay? The three of them really played well off each other in that small sample there. And so what um, I'm going to be looking for is where is he getting the ball? And it, is he aggressively turning a corner on things like the pick and roll? And where are these picks being set? And then again, what's Rudy doing off the ball? Because what Rudy was doing off the ball previously is he would start in a corner and then run up to an elbow, but catch that flare screen off on the side and, and get the ball in the teeth of the defense without having had to have made a dribble. I really hope that they go back to that kind of flex action and, and work with that as their base offense. But, um, you know, with all these question marks, you just don't get to see it. So I guess it'll what be three, four weeks before, uh, off-season workout start for the Kings. Yeah, I'm uh, hearing get answers that, to some of those questions. I'm hearing that the team is is possibly going to meet up as a group um, in in Florida somewhere in the second week of September. They're they're going to do some team building there and kind of figure figure that one out, work together, and just hang out. And then uh, around September 25th, 26th uh, is when training camp will open. And we'll have to see how this team forms. We'll have to see how quickly they bond, how quickly they um, build chemistry and, and develop some sort of cohesion. Um, I think that Dave Yeager is a guy who has always been able to somehow do that. But you got to see it. it it's got to happen. It, this isn't, you know, again, we're looking at eight new faces at least, right? And we just don't, and there's still potential for trades. There's still potential for two or three players moving off this roster and two or three players coming to this roster. So lots and lots of things still up in the air. I would like to have all of this already settled. It's it's, it's quiet out there. It's not just the Kings. It's quiet across the league right now. It it's been a, it's a little weird. I think maybe it's a, because it's an Olympics year um, and, and people, teams, you know, kind of have a lot, not a lot, but, you know, they got stuff going on. So maybe that's why we haven't heard a lot in the trade market, but it's just quiet. I, I don't remember it being this quiet in the last three years. Yeah, I agree. I agree. This is one of the more quiet times I've, I've been through where nothing is going on and you're kind of surprised by that. But at the same time, you know, the Olympics do take a lot of the spotlight away and nobody wants this. They don't want things like the Collison situation playing itself out right in the middle of the Olympics. The NBA doesn't want that. And it's kind of a cooling off. You know, I, I think it's possible 
that the NBA said, hey, let's kind of have a quiet couple of weeks while the Olympics play out and let's let that play out, uh, as opposed to a bunch of, you know, mega trades and stuff like that happening. Um, let's just kind of let the let the Olympics cool the summer and, and give us, you know, some fun things to talk about and then business as usual start this week, you know, now that everyone will be back. I mean, it's good to see Vlade Divac right there on the, you know, watching Serbia versus Team USA. Uh, really, it, it's it's fun to see that. It is. You, you know, I was sitting there thinking as you're saying that, is I wonder what the head count is. I mean, I'm sitting here stuck. I just give out medals all day. They don't let me do anything else. And I, I don't know how many people are here, but um, like you would think, you know, however many NBA players are in this tournament, it would probably be like 30, oh, no, 35. No, no, there was forty. Huge amount of NBA. Well, I mean, you got everybody from Team USA, and what about five per team for the, the for the other remaining? Yeah. I mean, China doesn't have an NBA player. Nigeria, I no, think they has... do. China does. China. Has oh yeah, they got, they Xing do. They got Li, the rookie. They got the rookie. Well, no, and they, and Yi Jing Li just signed. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Eight yeah, million dollar yeah. deal with the Lakers. Oh my God. He actually looks good. I'm. I think he'll. You know. I don't know what they're doing with Julius Randle there. You know. That to me would speak of maybe they think they got something in the cooker. Or Larry Nance uh, Jr. I, I think they just needed to spend money, and they might as well. You know. We might. As well it could be. A, that could be a Jim Bus thing. You, you know. Just he never had. Count. He had a lot of skill coming into his uh, his rookie year, and he was you know really highly regarded, but he just never materialized, and maybe he never got a huge opportunity but his career stats really aren't that bad he he, he, he had some was really bad bad kind of representation and support you know coming into the league i think that they tried to play hardball with the nba and the nba is like eh, we don't care you know and you know trying to dictate teams that he would play for that was actually not the way that folks did business until uh, recently with the the heavy demands on teams and workouts and the the kind of the pre-draft posturing but but E came in and and pretty much laid the smack down and everybody was like, "Well, we don't really know if you're good enough for that." Um but he looks great and um yeah, I just wonder if all the decision makers are either there and that could be a good thing because you get decision makers at like the All-Star game or wherever have you and things happen, deals happen, uh, or is it the case that they're there and they're in Rio, so everybody's out partying with Ryan Lochte, oh, or are they not there, and is everybody just out with their families taking these four weeks and saying, you know what, there's this big distraction going on, we're all going to take vacation at the same time, nothing's going to get done, when everybody gets back from the Olympics, pick up your phones and let's do this. That's right, and you know what, I'll just point this out too, for all those concerns for all these years about DeMarcus Cousins, um, He's just he's just a guy standing on a podium getting a gold medal causing no trouble at all. He may or may not have accidentally walked into a brothel with a couple other guys at one point, but that was like an honest accident. Um, but overall, I, I think that, you know, the Ryan Lochtes of the world, uh, the one gymnast who said just deplorable things about if she wanted to change the color of her skin, then maybe she would have a chance at a gold. Um, you know, those people really stole the negative spotlight. And everyone was always concerned that somehow DeMarcus was going to embarrass himself and the country and the Sacramento Kings. He was a model citizen. He was at so many events with a big smile on his face, cheering on the women. The whole him and Brittany Grinder thing is really, really cool, and I, I can't wait to see if that actually happens. I think there's, you know, DeMarcus did himself and did 
Sacramento and did uh, Team USA very proud. You know, I think he did everything in his power to be on his best behavior, and I, I'm really, again, I'm really happy for him. You know, a note on the on the women. If you're gonna watch, um, if you're a real big basketball fan, you know, kind of a basketball nerd, you want to watch really good basketball being played. Those girls played about as well as I have seen a team play in a really long time. You know, watching the Warriors, you got the sense you were watching something real special with the way they move the ball, the decisions that they make, and the unstoppableness of it. Uh, they got out there, and they're just – I don't know if they've got better cohesion because they play with each other more. If This is just a really special group of players. Uh, they looked amazing every yeah. single night. It was something to behold. And I'm not just saying that because they were better than the, the competition, which was inferior. It's just a way that they, they see the game, the way that they play the game, the shots that they took. Mm-hmm. Just kind of how they handled it in general it was just really fun to watch. So check that out if you get a chance. Um, yeah. But I wish I wish Griner hadn't picked on Cousins. I, I I would like to see her against somebody that can't, you know, just take her down to the post and muscle her because she's yeah, really like, good. Even DeAndre, she's, yeah, she is really good and she moves very fluidly. And if you're just watching, you know, from far on on TV, you would be like, you know, I think she can hang. It, it's it's uh, it's fun to watch. Yeah, she she does look like she could actually perform at the NBA level. She's pretty incredible. Yeah. So, all right, so Aaron, do you have any final thoughts? No, no, no final thoughts. Um, check out our draft guide at hoop-ball.com. There's 300-plus uh, player profiles and projections, and if you play fantasy basketball, it's the best list that there is. It's uh, served me well as I go and I play in these big money tournaments nationally and we continue to win so uh it's a labor of love and it's an addiction and uh we're pretty good at it so check it out if you're into fantasy basketball at hoop-ball.com oh there you go a little a little plug for hoop-ball.com all right so final thoughts uh again sorry we pushed the podcast back this week but there wasn't that much to talk about until today when we actually had the the culmination culmination of DeMarcus Cousins winning the gold medal after years of working to get to this stage. Uh, hopefully it, it is a good replacement for that uh, elusive world championship ring that so many of those players have, and it holds them over until the Kings can figure out a way to build a team around Cousins. Um, but definitely a good moment for Sacramento, good moment for Team Cousins, Andrew Rogers. Uh, his, his partner in crime that has been helping DeMarcus, you know, for so long. So a shout out to Andrew and, and really a big hat tip to DeMarcus for, uh, for bringing home the gold. Very, very excited to see him and see the big smile on his face and maybe get to take a picture of a gold medal, like up close. That'd be cool. Um, and so, yeah, just mad props to DeMarcus cousin. So, That's going to do it for this week's edition of the CSN Kings Insider Podcast. We will try to get a guest for next week. Again, just keep in mind, dog days of summer. Uh, And uh, we'll be back, right, Aaron? We shall be back. In the the words of the great Arnold Schwarzenegger. Oh, good luck. Brad Brad G. would approve. There it is. All right. We'll be back. (laughs) So for Aaron Bruski, I am James Hamm. Thank you for tuning in to the CSN Kings Insider Podcast. We'll see you next week. 